When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, uh, Springer has a home run for the Blue Jays, his 10th of the season. They are leading the Orioles 1-0 in the top of the 7th. The Edmonton Stingers play the Saskatchewan Rattlers in about an hour at the Expo Center. Canadian Elite Basketball League, both teams are 2-3. and three. The Edmonton Riverhawks uh, had their home opener last night. They won 4-1 against Kamloops. They played an 11 a.m. game today and lost 8-4 to have their three-game winning streak snapped. They uh, play Kamloops again tomorrow at 7. Elks on Saturday at the BC Lions. We'll have Elks center Mark Cordy on the show a little bit later on as uh, the Elks will be on the air. 3.30 countdown to kick off with Brendan Escott on Saturday and the game at 5. Of course, Vegas has won the Stanley Cup, and to discuss that and more, former NHL goaltender, now an analyst on television, Marty Baron. Always love when he joins us. Marty, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. There's a lot of sports happening in your neck of the woods. Uh, always uh, always something to talk about. Uh, obviously, tough day uh, with our, our all-sports station in town here uh, taking off here. You know what? You're right. It is a tough day, and it's uh, heartbreaking to see all across Canada. But um, I know there's great people, and they'll bounce back, and it's just a little blimp on the radar. Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk. I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit more here uh, later on. But I'm thinking about those folks for sure. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you. F- uh, thank you for coming on the show. I'm, I'm going to start with uh, maybe a little different question with you, and maybe you won't have an answer, but I want to throw it at you anyway. As a former player, when you see the season end or a series end, are you thinking about the guys who uh, won the Stanley Cup, or are you thinking more about the team that just had it come to an end? Um, I am, uh, you know what, it's a trick question because it takes me a while. Like, I watch the celebration, and I'm excited for some of those players, although... Every single year that I was a player in the National Hockey League, I hated that day because I'm like, that should be us. That should be us. And it never happened that it was us. But at the same time, I'm happy for some of the guys that are on those teams because I know them well. Uh, But now I get to be happy for the teams and see because I know how hard it is. I went to a conference finals with the Philadelphia Flyers. I went to a conference finals with the Buffalo Sabres. And I went to a conference finals with the New York Rangers. And I'm like, man, I never got to a finals. And it was hard. And I can see now with Vegas the hard work that they had to put in and everything. And then after I see all the celebration and the handshake happens, then I feel bad for the other team. And not feeling bad because they had a great season, but you know that everybody's hurt, everybody's banged up, and then at least when you're hurt and you lift the Stanley Cup, it goes away. You're hurt, you go back to the locker room to get changed, and then you know that you have a really tough up season in front of you. That's always heartbreaking. Uh, the the handshake. I, I ha- I've had a couple guys tell me, including Kelly Rudy, who's a regular on the show, that he's not a fan of the handshake line. Like he thinks, what 
you know, one team's elated and one team is crushed regardless of when you get eliminated. Uh, but some guys you might see, former teammates, some guys knew each other since they were playing minor hockey. There are some embraces. There are some very quick handshakes like Dreisaitl and Petrangelo yeah. after the Oilers. Uh, did, would you say anything meaningful on the handshake line? or Did you just want to get it over with? What was it like for you? Uh, it depends also what role you're playing. And, like, when I was the backup, I'm like, good good, good series, good game, good luck, whatever, right? Like, I mean, maybe you got a couple of guys that you know well or former teammates and you hang on for a few minutes. But as a, as a starting goaltender, when I was with the Flyers, and I remember we lost to Pittsburgh my first year in the conference finals, and I got to Marc-Andre Fleury and we talked for a little bit, right, so much so that somebody tapped me on the shoulder like, okay, keep going, Marty. But, uh, you know, I had respect for Marc-Andre Fleury. I think he had respect for me. We battled it out. He went on top. Uh, talked to him for a little bit, talked to a few other guys that I knew. Um, I always liked the handshake. I, listen, I, I think it's... It's great. I think it's a form of respect. I know you battle hard for, you know, how many games, right? Six, seven at times, and and you, you show respect. Now, the one thing that I'm a little bit on the fence with, and, and I'm going to ask you the question, is all these black aces and extra players that come onto the ice with their full gear, I'm like, I don't know about that. Like, I remember Denis Savard in 93. He wasn't playing. He's in his suit, right? He was on the bench helping the coach, but he's in his suit. Like, it, I remember the story of Denis Savard because he's in his suit, not because he's dressed in his Montreal Canadiens gear, right? So I don't know about, like, Phil Kessel and there was, what, four goalies on the ice? Right. Like, I'm like, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know when that started, but I remember the Denny Savard one well because that was a big deal that, you know, late in his career he got to win this cup with the Canadians. Unfortunately, I can't remember how many games he missed, at least the last – maybe he got hurt in the conference final. I can't even remember. But, yeah, now it's almost um, – I don't want to. The story really is like Jacques Demers going to Denis Savard and saying, right. hey, you know, we are game five at home against LA. Like, they knew they were the better team. And do you want to play? And Denis Savard said, no. Like, I, I, I'm not close to being ready to play. And I want somebody else to be able to play, to dress, and get their name, their name on the cup along mine because he knew his name was going to be on the cup. So the, the story is amazing for Denis Savard to, to forego his spot in the game for somebody to get their name on the cup. Yeah, I, 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 no one's ever brought that up about the Black Aces, but there is a certain where it feels a little choreographed almost, and then there's the team picture that have, you know, 30 guys in uniform. So, yeah, I, I, I never thought about that, but that's that, that's an interesting one. I wonder what people will, will think about that. But I guess everybody well, I wants to like lift it. Today at 6-1, right? Like, yeah. and after the second period, they're like, okay, it's fine. But what if it's 2-2? Two, two? What if it's like game right. six? You know, you have a chance to – it's 2-2. Two, two. You go and get dressed, you lose late in the third, and then you lose game seven. And then everybody's going to say, oh, I shouldn't have had those guys right. dressed in the locker room, right? Like, that's the reason. <laughs> that's a good I, point. I, don't know. I, I think it's a little funky. That, that, that is a, a very interesting point. And it's still meaningful even if a guy lifts it in his suit as an injured player, as a scratch player, right? It's not like... Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and the guys yesterday all had the scarves, right? That little bit of a soccer thing with Bill Foley being a, 
a, a minority owner with a Premier League soccer team, and you put the scarf. Like, I mean, you still get a great picture. You still get a great souvenir. You still get a party in Vegas with the cop. I don't know that I'd want to put my gear on to go and celebrate. I'd, I'd want to be in my suit, I think. Uh, it's, I'm glad you brought up Bill Foley. Certainly, he was a very uh, prominent figure in all this. He, he set high expectations for the team. We know they've been to the Cup Final twice, all these appearances in the Final Four, only one time missing the playoffs. Some owners are, are much more behind the scenes. Uh, you know, maybe some fans might even struggle, to, not in Edmonton, but some fans might not know a lot about uh, their owner. Like, when you played, was there any connection with any of your owners? Oh, absolutely. When I was in Buffalo, at first it was the Knoxes. Uh, unfortunately, Seymour Knox passed away. Um, you know, shortly after I made my debut at 18 years old, but I gotten cl- I stayed close with the family. Um, then the Regas family came in and really did a, a really good thing for the Sabres until um, they, uh, well, basically they, they were arrested for fraud. So that then went to Tom Golisano, who really did some great things with the Sabres. And I got traded to Philadelphia. I mean, Mr. Snyder. Right. Um, I, Mr. Snyder was in the, the locker room, uh, was, you know, celebrating with us, went through the ups and downs. Uh, he was great. Uh, in, in New York with the Islanders, it was Mr. Wong, Charles Wong that was there. Um, you know, I, I got to know him. Um, and in New York, to be honest with you, New York was probably the only place I didn't. I was there three and a half years. I didn't really get to know Mr. Dolan at all. I think he was more like preoccupied with the Knicks and other things. But, uh, you know, he would be around once in a while. Um, but I never really got to know him. And maybe that's because I was late on my career and I was just, a, you know, not a significant piece of the team. But all throughout my years, I mean, I did have good relationship with my owners. Uh, it was great to uh, sometimes, you know, have them around and, and know that they cared. Um, at the end of the year, always threw a year-end party, a year-end dinner. We had a few drinks and maybe cigars with the owners. Uh, it was awesome. Marty Baran joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Okay, so to, to dive a little more specifically into the city. Now, first of all, obviously, uh, you, you know, you, you know a lot about the Sabres. You played for the Sabres. You cover the Sabres, broadcast the Sabres. Uh, Jack Eichel was there. Didn't end well. He goes to Vegas, uh, wins the Stanley Cup. Your reaction to seeing Eichel get the championship, and uh, I, I don't know what sense you're getting from maybe uh, Sabres fans that you know about him getting the big prize. You know, it's funny. I think it's split. I, I've heard from Sabres fans that are completely disgusted. They were like, I turned it off. I didn't watch it. I didn't want him to lift the cup. I'm like, why? Like, look, Jack Eichel, before the pandemic in Buffalo, was the captain. He had one of his best year. He was on pace for 95 points, 40 goals. And then the pandemic and the season, they were a point back of Montreal to get in for the top 20 teams. They were going to play Montreal the day that the, the season got postponed. The next year, he never was healthy when they played the 56-game season and they were in their own bubble. He had an oblique injury in training camp. Then he had the neck injury, and he never returned. So I, I feel like... Look, Jack Eichel, was he perfect in Buffalo? No, but a lot of it was not on him. He's a fantastic hockey player. Uh, He worked hard. Um, It was just unfortunate. So maybe it fell really flat at the end for Eichel and the Sabres. But look, um, you know what? He did what he had to do. He stood for what his body was for him. And that's another point that we have to forget. Like, he wanted a certain surgery. The Sabres were not comfortable with it. Both sides 
have their rights. But at the same time, like, Jack Eichel didn't want to be cut in the neck and done something to, to his body that he didn't want to. So they made the deal. Everybody's a winner, and he wins the cup, and I'm happy for him. Uh, Aiden Hill, I, I said before you came on, that was probably the – not probably, that was the biggest surprise for me, is that Hill came in, replaced Brassois when LB got hurt against the Oilers, and Hill – never really looked off. I mean, just incredibly strong. A guy who'd been a, a, a career backup. So that was the biggest surprise to me is that no team, Oilers included, was really able to get to Hill. And quite frankly, he goalied the Oilers in Game 6 of, of their yeah. series. What did you see from, from Hill that, that made him so effective? Well, first of all, I mean, there's a lot of people that say, oh, he was a fourth-string goalie with Vegas or even a fifth-string goalie. No, he was not. He was getting paid $2.1 million with the Vegas Golden Knights. That's not just a backup salary. That's an, a, a, an excellent backup salary, right? Like a backup salary is $1 million, $1.5 million, maybe two. Like 2.1 is above average. And I think that the Vegas Golden Knights knew what they had at 8 nil. They started with Logan Thompson. Hill was the backup. And that's what they went into this season with. But they felt confident. Aiden Hill played 27 games this year. And all goalies that played at least 15 games this year, Hill was a top 15 in both goals against average and save percentage this season. He's not a bad goaltender. He's a really good goaltender. He was going to be due for a raise this summer. Now, he's going to get a much better raise now that he won the cup and did so well. Uh, but I think he was going to go to about $3 million this year as a, you know, maybe 1B solid backup. But now in the, in the finals and in the playoffs where he's proven that he can play every other night, that he can play a heavy workload. He never done that in the NHL. He did it in the playoffs. So now I'm looking at Jordan Biddington from 2019, right? Jordan Biddington came in halfway in the season, won the cup, signed a two-year deal at $4.4 million. I'm thinking Aiden Hill will probably sign a two- or three-year deal at $4.5 to $5 million. That's what I'm looking at. Well, yeah, that's just the way you put it. And I was, you know, I kind of was, I was one of the people saying that. Like, isn't he a career backup? But, uh, no, you make a good point when you say the numbers that that he got. Uh, the injuries that Florida had, and, and I'm not taking anything away against Vegas, but clearly uh, they had a lot of guys who were banged up and run down. If you are willing to share, uh biggest injury you played through or saw a teammate play through just to make sure he could get into postseason games wow i saw teammates like dan girardi with the new york rangers like his body was so filled with bumps and bruises and weird things like i remember watching his elbow grow an extra elbow his wrist grow an extra finger like it was like what is going on here man like he was blocking shots and playing through so much pain like he was a warrior and obviously what i saw uh, the injury report out of the Florida Panthers is incredible, right? Brendan Montour has a torn labrum. He's got to need surgery. will be out four months. Uh, you know, Aaron Eggblad played with a broken foot, dislocated shoulder twice, torn oblique, uh, concussion test. Like, like, that's crazy. And Matthew Kachuk. So, the funny thing about Matthew Kachuk is it's not so funny, but he had a broken sternum. So I got a bruised sternum one year uh, with the Buffalo Sabres. It was bruised. It wasn't broken. I couldn't get out of bed. Like, to get out of bed, I had to slide myself off the bed, fall, 
like basically yell into a pillow because it hurts so bad. Once I was up and moving, it wasn't too bad, but the worst was trying to get out of bed. And that's what they said, right? Like he couldn't even get out of bed. Um, and he got really, really bad after game four. I can't even imagine that he played the rest of the game, scored a goal in game three to take it to OT with a broken sternum. Like that to me is crazy. Uh, yeah, it's pretty remarkable what players do to make sure they're, they're on the ice. Thanks for that perspective. I didn't realize Girardi was that. <laughs> My goodness, bumps everywhere. That's 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 that sounds like he was a science fiction character or something like that. Uh, you're on in Edmonton. Uh, I, I know it's been a while since the Oilers were out, so I don't know if you've thought about this too much. D- do the Oilers still have to do something drastic here in in the off season? I mean, they're in a, they're in a division with Vegas. Todd McClellan said after the series, he goes, "Well, the Oilers have beat us twice, two years in a row, so we got to work on getting past them." I know the the couple teams in the Pacific maybe won't be. I think that they have to really look behind them and know that, as you pointed out, right, there's a lot of teams. Like, I think the Calgary Flames, and I know we're in Edmonton right now, and this is going to be a tough pill to swallow, but I think the Calgary Flames are primed to make a jump forward. Like, this year didn't work well. The whole Daryl Sutter didn't work well. Uh, but I'm looking at next year, and I'm like, look, this Flames team's a good team. If they got average goaltender last year from Markstrom, and if they got a, an average season from Huberdeau, they would have been in there and competing in the playoffs, and I think they're a great team. So uh, that's going to be another one that the Oilers have to look for. But the big question, again, like I, I'm specialized in, in goaltending, and I look at the Oilers, and I didn't think Stuart Skinner was good at all in the playoffs. And now I'm like, okay, was the regular season just uh, easy for him to play because he was playing with house money because Campbell was struggling, and then when it got pressured and when he was the guy, he struggled in the playoffs. He never really looked comfortable. Um, so are, are the Oilers needed to keep an eye on that? Because there is going to be a lot of goaltenders available in the market this year. The, the goalie market is going to be crazy. There's going to be so many moving parts. Um, do you have to look at that, right? Is it still a big question mark? It was two years ago. It was three years ago. It was really last year. Like, the Oilers should have advanced they should have beaten you know the Vegas Golden Knights they they didn't because I felt like their goaltending was not good enough and now you have that big question mark so um I still think that's going to be lingering if they don't come out if Campbell and and Stuart Skinner don't come out good last year it's still going to be the downfall of the Oilers can they get goaltending yeah okay Marty you're an absolute pleasure to have on the show you're always generous uh, with your time joining us throughout the season Uh, you're a great storyteller and you always have amazing perspective we love having you on the show have a great summer and hope to connect with you again in the fall sir well, I always enjoy coming on the show. Uh, you're fun to uh, to spend a 20-minute, half-hour with. And, uh, yeah, have a great summer, everyone. You're, you're included, and uh, we'll talk to you next year. Right on. That is Marty Barron, former NHL goaltender, current TV analyst, MSG Network, joining us inside Sports on Chet. Hi, this is Darnell Nurse from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Yeah, I was really saddened today to see the news that TSN 1260 is no longer broadcasting. I'm not going to get into the, the business side of it. I mean, that's not my, my forte. Uh, and obviously there were layoffs with Bell across the country. And, of, of course, when anybody in any profession or there are mass layoffs, you know, I, I always feel horrible for the 
people involved, but in this case, it involves people in my profession and uh, people that I got to know over the years. I mean, clearly Jason Greger, I saw almost daily throughout the hockey season, well, especially when the Oilers were at home. Dustin Nielsen applied for a job uh, when I was working in Lloyd Minster. So, uh, you know, I've known him a long time. He's, he's outstanding. Uh, Dave Jameson was there. I'm not going to list off everybody, but those probably the three guys I, I knew the best uh, over 1260. So it, it's tough for me to see that happen. Um, as someone who hosts a sports show, I think more sport, sports shows are good. Uh, I think if you're listening to this show, you, you probably listen to 1260 too. I mean, hopefully you like the variety of voices and perspectives and guests and personalities and all that kind of thing. So I, I think it's a, a loss for broadcasting. I think it's a loss for the sports scene in this city and it's and it's tough and I, I feel for all the people who found out quite abruptly uh, and sometimes I've heard even from a third party that uh, that they wound up out of work today. So I, I just wanted to acknowledge that. I know there's nothing I can say that's really going to make anybody feel better about it uh, but it was really tough to see. I know some people have written in, in about that and I want to get to some of those comments from you as we move along tonight at 780-496-0063. Marty Braun mentioned the Flames. They also have a new coach. Pat Steinberg will weigh in next.